have in my hand, powerful Word of God, can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, man, I love you. We don't get told enough that we're loved. Amen? We need to hear it more and more all the time and every day and every way. Thank you for letting me be gone last week. I understand Jeff uh, got the series started off with the introduction and did a fine, fine job. I'm not surprised at all. And uh, I know you keep telling me, hey, you don't have to rush back. We've got a good preacher filling in for you. So I, I know I got it. I got it. That's why I come back. So you can't get used to me. So... <laughs> Uh, grateful, grateful. Uh, you've got to get with Crystal before she, too long and get her to tell you her story of God's uh, covering and protection over her. Uh, just uh, When was that? Just the other day? Wednesday. Great story. Uh, you, if we have time at the end, I'm going to have her testify about that. It's just it's too good. It's too good. We'll find time. Okay. <coughs> chapter 1. All of you on chapter 1. What I want you to do is read each chapter before the next Sunday. So you'll be chapter 2 next week. If you haven't read 1, read 1 and 2 for next week, okay? So you'll be ready. And uh, we want you to do that each week. Uh, we gotta, i got to get, get going. I'm looking at the clock and looking at the nine chapters of the book of Genesis I've got to cover. So here we go. Because uh, there's some really big themes and uh, really big people that uh, we've got to get with and concepts that we've got to study. And, and they've been studied for over centuries. Centuries, these concepts have been studied and uh, looked at and dissected and all of that. But we're going to discover that there's a cycle that repeats itself throughout this entire series. And we're going to learn that there's what's been called an earthly dilemma which begs for a heavenly solution. And I want you to understand that this is a recurring theme throughout this whole series that we have. But today, you will hear about the very first time that this cycle unfolds. And the very first stage of the cycle, if you, if you like to take notes, and in your notes, the first one is God creates and it's all good. God creates and it's all good. Do you know people like that? That say, hey, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. Well, God created it and then He said, it's all good. So if God said it's all good, it must be good. <laughs> so in those Bibles or electronic devices you held up, would you turn to Genesis 1.1? It'll probably be on page 1. I've always wanted to say that, page 1. <laughs> turn to page 1. Genesis 1.1. The greatest literary works of all time always start with a hook that holds you. Well, that's what this one does. Verse 1 starts off in an incredible way. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the first sentence of the Bible, of the story of Genesis, first four words, in the beginning, God. So the main character of this whole series, this whole book called the Bible, the main character is introduced in the first phrase, and what's his name? God. The sooner we answer the question that God is in control, 
and receive it, accept it, and live it in faith, the greater your life's going to be. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. Get an amen? There we go. I'll prompt you if you need it. All creation, all life flows out of God. So the curtain rises, and we're going to be looking at this series in, in five, five acts. So we're, we're in Act 1 several weeks, Act 2, and I'll, I'll let you know when we're going. But right now we're going to be in, as the curtain raises, we're in Act 1. And the spotlight is on God. And when there's nothing and where there is nothing but darkness, nothing but formless void, God speaks out of that darkness, emptiness and silence. He speaks the world into existence. Wow. There's an old Negro musical called The Creation. And uh, Justin Hairston was the man that wrote this musical. And he narrates as he goes through. And I love how he starts. He says, And God said. I'd have to stop right there. I can't go any further. Because it's such a powerful statement. And God said. Now if you can believe that the first line of the Bible is true, then it's not really hard to believe that he could create a fish that could swallow a man and keep him in his belly for two or three days. That's not hard to believe. Pretty easy. It's, it's not hard to believe that a guy named Daniel could be thrown into a lion's den with a bunch of hungry lions and come out unscathed and no scratches. That's pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty. And it's not too unusual to believe, if you believe that first verse, that first statement, that God could speak into the universe and existence and all things happen. And even he can say, come forth. And a dead man named Lazarus comes out of the grave. You see, if you believe it in the beginning, God, it's easy to believe the rest of it. They may find it interesting that in Genesis chapter 1, one, there's a Hebrew word for creation. And that, uh, and that word create is a word that is only used of divine creativity and creative activity. It's amazing. The word means to bring into existence something from nothing. That's what that Hebrew word means. And that's very important to us to understand. In the beginning, God created, made, brought something into existence from nothing. He created the heavens and the earth. He creates it, and it's all good. And the sequence and pattern of creation in, in Genesis chapter uh, 1, each day as God created, at the end of each day there was this pattern, there was this routine repetition, and He would say, and it was good. And it was good. Do you remember reading that this week in preparation? <clears throat> and as you read about each day, and at the end of it, He would say, and it was good. It was good. But look in your Bibles at verse 26, Genesis 1. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. You might want to circle a couple of words. The, word, the words us and the word our. Those are plural words, are they not? See, God didn't say, I'm going to make man in my image. He included the Son. He included the Holy Spirit when he said, let us make man in our image. So you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit already in Genesis 1. You see the creation happening and the creative powers behind the creation. You see it right there. Verse 26. 
Let's make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So man is a unique creation unlike any other that God created. We didn't evolve from a lower life form. We are the image bearers of God. He said, let us make man in our image so we look like Him. We look like Him. <laughs> now far be it, some of us could use a little overhaul. I, I got you. I understand. But our purpose is to reflect His image to a lost and dying world. And we're to worship Him forever, to glorify Him. And there are many brilliant people who believe in creation by God. There are equally as many brilliant people who believe in evolution. One of many reasons that I do not believe in evolution is because of Genesis chapter 1. And it tells us quite clearly that God says He is the one who created life. He is the one who created man and woman. And He tells us how He went about it. Have a hard time with evolution because there's no explanation for how they got something from nothing. How does he do that? I don't know. I just have faith. I just believe it. I don't need anything beyond that, do I? There is an elaborate explanation depending on upon who you hear the explanation from because it changes decade by decade over how many millions of years or sometimes how few numbers of years it took for evolution to take place. And it's so strange to me that there is no fossil record that support evolution. None. Plenty to support creation. In fact, they can't figure out how in Glen Rose, Texas, all these <laughs> dinosaur things showed up. How on the top of Mount Ararat, they found the ark. Oh, it's there. But it's sitting at such a high altitude. How'd a boat that size get up there? Man, that guy was driving crazy. He took it up on that mountain. Or could it have been that as the water receded, it came to rest? That's what he said. Hmm. So there are things that evolutionists believe 30 years ago, because their story keeps changing, that they don't necessarily believe now because they disapproved it in their own dialogue. <laughs> and when there is a change, they don't call attention to it. But what's interesting to me is that God laid out His ground rules of what was going to happen, and His story is unchanging. It stays the same just as He is, the same yesterday, today, and forever. A little girl asked her mom, how did the human race start? And she said, well, God made the first woman, uh, first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, and they were made in his own image, and they had children, and that's how mankind came to be. Well, a few days later, the little girl's talking to her dad. She said, Dad, how did mankind come, come to be? She said, well, honey, many years ago there were monkeys that were all around, and the human race evolved from those monkeys. Well, the little girl was kind of confused, so she went back to her mom. She said, Mom, I don't understand. I'm, I'm confused. You said that God created us and Daddy says that we came from monkeys. How can that be? She said, well, let me explain it to you this way, dear. It's very simple. I explained to you my side of the family. <laughs> he was explaining his. 
Now the intent and the explanation of the theory of evolution versus the concept of a divine being creating the world, those two things stand in stark contrast to one another. And here's what I want you to get. One says you are here by accident. The other says that you are here for a purpose. Oh, I like that. I like the fact that somebody dreamed this and put it together. I like that. I don't want to drive a car that somehow evolved. Even though we take our chances every time we get in one. But you know, it's assembly line. It's put together piece by piece by piece by piece. The Bible tells us that we're here for a reason. Tells us that we were created in the image of God and no other creatures made in God's image as we are as human beings. And that indicates that He wants to have a very special relationship with us. See, it's one thing to know you. It's another thing to have a relationship with you. <clears throat> I mean, I know who my wife is. But I have a relationship with her. We cry together. We laugh together. Yeah. It's a relationship. We talk to each other. Yeah. We sit and look at each other, sometimes really funny, you know. It's called love at one time. I don't know what it is now. After so many years, it may take on a different form. I don't know. But there's still days I will look at her and I'm just, I'm just amazed that God let her be in my life. Really? Well, she had a weak moment when she said yes. Because I know, I know a day after we got married, she went, whoa, what did I do? <laughs> no, that's not true. But he wants to have that special relationship. And herein lies our true worth. We are loved by the Creator in a way that He does not and cannot love animals, plants, or anything He created. Because they do not have the capacity to love Him and re or relate to Him like we do. That's what makes it special. Now, I love my dog. And my dog loves me. But I don't want to sit have much relationship with my dog. But now, Cindy, that's a whole new program. Amen. Amen. I watched my brother and my sister-in-law last week and interact with each other. <laughs> They've been married, I think, 40 years. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's that love-hate thing, it looks like, to me. But Cindy says, well, you're just an easy target. And so is my brother. He's real easy. So it's fun. We had fun. She was telling stories, though, in church last Sunday. She, you know, God's going to strike her because you, you don't stand in church and tell those kind of stories, especially when they're not true. Okay, I'm going to go back to preaching. We are loved by the Creator, loved by Him in a way that He can't love anything else. He grieves with us. He rejoices with us. And I'm convinced that He intervenes in our lives in response to the prayers of faith that we pray. Flowers don't do that. The Bible says God created Adam. Now I'm sure that when I say that, that many of you ladies immediately come into your mind, I wonder what Adam looked like. Hmm. Maybe Brad Pitt. Let's see. Or Clark Gable. I mean, that'll catch more of you. <laughs> Preacher was working on his uh, sermon for this week. And uh, he had some boys, that, uh, some young men that were wanting to go into ministry, high school kids. And so uh, they were reading through his sermon, and uh, he said, hey, i got a question for you. What do you think Eve looked like? 
Instantly, all of them in one voice said, Carrie Underwood. <laughs> well, that's pretty good if you ask me. I said, well, how about Jennifer Lopez? You know, I would, I would think that, right? In fact, this preacher said, it. well, what about Jennifer Lopez? And they said, oh, she's old. <laughs> yeah, who's old? <laughs> that's right. And then the preacher finished the story by saying that he was watching TV the other day, and he thought Betty White looked pretty nice. I thought, Ooh. okay. <laughs> so go back to those Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 20. For here we find out about the creation of man and woman. It says, but for Adam, no helper, suitable helper was found. Suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and enclosed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to, to the man. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Man, that's awesome. That'd be, that's awesome. You could save a, guys, we could save a lot of money if we could still do this. And feel no shame. Amen? Probably weren't overweight. Probably weren't overweight. <laughs> She's gone from preaching to meddling already, hasn't she? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, why was man created first before woman? And there's lots of different theories as to why that happened. But I know what women scholars say. The female Bible scholars explain it this way. They say, well, God created man, and then he looked and said, you know, I think I could do better. <laughs> and then those male biblical, because there's always a flip side of that, all those male biblical scholars, they say, well, why did God create woman last? He didn't want her giving him advice all the way through the other creation. <laughs> some women say that, some men say that. I'm not saying I say it. But Adam's heart is pounding and he's thinking, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He looks at that creation and he says, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus wasn't around, so he just said, thank you, God. Amen. That's right. And it's good. It's good. But when he created man and woman, he said, it's very good. It's very good. So when you look in the mirror today, remember that God said, it's very good. You're very good. <laughs> Earlier, God told Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden. In Genesis 2.17, he says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, for some time after that, Adam and Eve, they, they obeyed. We don't know how long, the time frame. They lived in perfect harmony with God. It's just still hard for me to fathom, wrap my mind around that. I mean, watermelon, seedless watermelon, yellow-meated watermelon. This big, you know, butter brickle ice cream. Oh, you can eat gallons of it every day in the perfect Garden of Eden, right? Can you imagine it in fried okra? Well, I'm stretching a lot of this. <laughs> Well, that's, that's hell. No, <laughs> you're right. You're right. But you know, while they were there, God only had one. He only had one rule, one ground, ground rule. He said, just one. The Ten Commandments hadn't come. It's just one. Just one thing. That's it. And what'd they do? It's like a child. When you tell a kid, don't touch the hot stove, what do they do? <laughs> Maybe you should tell them, 
go touch that hot stove. Well, no, I'm not going to go over there. I don't know. Reverse psychology, does it work? Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only rule he gave them. But the cycle that we mentioned, God creates, it's all good, but, here's your second fill in, but man sins and everything falls apart. God creates, it's all good, but man sins, it all falls apart. Genesis 3, we discover the reason for this chaos. So it's such an important chapter in, the, in this story, this chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 recounts the day that the struggle between good and evil began. It is the pivotal moment in the story of all Christianity because it is where God's story introduces us to the evil one. The Bible describes Satan and it says this, He has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's his mission. That's why he exists. Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree of it? any tree in the garden? You see, Satan's tactics are three. And the reason why is because he uses the same tactics with us in order to convince us to disobey what God tells us to do. First thing Satan does is he questions. He questions God's word. And in the garden, he said to Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any of of all this good fruit that's around us? And then Satan, secondly, denies God's word. He says, you will not surely die. And then thirdly, he reverses God's word when he says, you will not surely die. Instead, your eyes will be opened and you'll really live now. You'll see what living is all about. Satan's the father of lies and Eve buys the lie. Look in your Bible. Chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, you see in this, and desirable, these are key words here, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Eve eats the fruit. Verse 6, the last part of verse 6. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now understand this, Eve should not have eaten it, but I tell you something. Adam shouldn't have either. He should have protected his wife. He should have stood and been a leader at that moment and said, no, honey, we can't do this because God said don't do it. Fact. So men, don't blame her. Big boy. Don't blame her. Verse 7, chapter 3, very interesting verse. says, In the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. To this point, up till now, they were living in a perfect innocence, perfect harmony, completely uninhibited, and now they felt guilt and shame, and for the first time, they wanted to hide themselves. Sin causes everything to fall apart. What an earthly dilemma which begs for a heavenly solution. To cover all the territory that we need to cover today, I ran across a video that I just think is so powerful. It's six minutes. Don't go, don't go nuts on me, but it's six minutes. But you'll be glad you saw it. Let's take a look. Thank <laughs> you. 
the serpent. Snake was the savviest of all of the creatures in the creator's perfect planet. The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side, preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you'll be just like him. Eyes wide open, knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. And Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise, with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day, and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about 
to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kissed the innocence goodbye. Where you hiding, son? Eve, girl, what have you done? The ground, it's broken now. Under a curse, from bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work will be harder. Grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands. Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head. You will strike and bite his heel. You will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for eons. He looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he just smiled. Serpent, he just smiled. I get, I get goosebumps every time I watch that. Satan is deceptive. Our palms get a little bit sweaty, and the reason why is because we know ourselves. We'd like to stay. We'd like to say it publicly that, hey, if I would have had the chance, I would never have made that choice. But we know deep down inside, in our private moments. We'd have blown it too. But we want people to think that we got it together. You see, in Genesis, we see it's not just Adam and Eve who sin. No, it, it doesn't stop there. The same sinful nature raises its ugly head in their offspring, their first two children, Cain and Abel. When they became adults, they each gave a gift and offering to God. Abel's was a very generous gift to God. It was pleasing to him. And Cain's stingier, he held back. Cain found out how pleased God was with his brother's sacrifice and offered a trick to him. Took him to the field and killed him. Murdered him. Unrepentant sin will cause any person to be self-consumed, self-absorbed to the extent that they will do unthinkable things. Leads us all the way to the very end of the first chapter. Chapter 6, verse 5. 
the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at all the time. So God put out, was put out with the human tendency to do evil and he chose the most righteous man in all the world at that time and his family and commanded this man Noah to build an ark. This ark was going to be the size of one and a half football fields. He had, he had Noah build the ark, took years and years to build it. Then he, then he added to that he had Noah and his family get in it, and God helped to bring all the animals, all sorts of animals, onto the ark. And God brought rain for 40 days and 40 nights continuously. He flooded the entire earth, and as a result, God destroyed the world with that flood. But basically, He started all over. He started all over. Sin had run rampant. People, one right after another, had made wrong decisions. And God said, let's just start this thing over again. Was there a rhyme and reason to why God did that? Well, there was. And we'll see in the coming chapters that even the most righteous people, even the best, will have their righteousness flee at times and leave. And yet through drunkenness and through some poor judgment, mankind has was right back where they started. Noah showed us his fallen nature, and Noah showed us his tendency to sin. An earthly dilemma still begs for a heavenly solution. So while God creates and it's all good, and while man sins and everything falls apart, hold on, point number three, God promises and there is still hope. Still hope. And so while Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah and each of us struggle with sinfulness and the God of the universe is unfolding His story, and as we wrap up this morning, I want you to see that even in these chapters, we can find glimmers of hope. I heard years ago about a very talented landscape artist who had a number of people watching over his shoulder and he was painting a very bleak winter scene of mountains. And in the foreground there was snow and it was swirling all around the rocks and there were pine trees that were blowing over in the wind and dusk was setting in and dark clouds loomed overhead and in the background of this frigid painting there was an isolated cabin that was nestled up against the hillside and then with a very brief simple stroke of the brush the artist transformed the mood of that painting he dipped the tip of his brush in yellow paint put the touch of gold in the window of the cabin and suddenly suddenly the picture had an appeal of life and hope there was an invitation to warmth and to safety there was a window of hope can i tell you something the first section of this book paints a very dismal picture of despair. We learn that sin brings isolation and death. There's frigid hopelessness, but God dips his brush in promise and gives the story a ray of hope. In fact, if you look closely, you will find that there are several windows of hope painted in the midst of these opening chapters of Genesis. If you're not careful, I dare say that you might miss them. But one of the most important verses of the whole day is the first prophecy of hope. It's in verse 15 of chapter 3. First prediction of the coming Messiah. It's after sin has taken place with Adam and Eve, and now God's talking to Satan, to the serpent. And this is what he says in verse 15. You will bruise the heel of the seed of the offspring of Adam and Eve, but he will crush your head. He will crush your head. So what's he talking about? Satan, there's going to come a time when you would do Limited damage to their seed coming down through the lineage of Adam and Eve 
Jesus Christ. You will do damage to that seed. You will bruise his heel on a Friday, but on Sunday morning, (laughs) he's going to crush your head. He's going to stomp on your head. He's going to put his boot on your neck. And that empty tomb will always be the sign that he did. Because that's the reference all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The second hint of hope was right after Adam and Eve sinned, they felt ashamed. And what did I say they did? They, they attempted to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. Look at verse 21 of verse 3, chapter 3. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I, I guess maybe the fig leaves weren't holding up too long. But you see, this husband and wife needed more than the fig leaves. God, it says, made them something to wear. So this is the first time where blood is shed. This is the first time where God himself took an animal and shed its blood. I probably think that he did it in the presence of Adam and Eve. I don't know why, but I just have that feeling. Many Bible scholars speculate that this is the first shedding of blood that Adam and Eve would have ever witnessed, and it was the first animal death. There's no other death that has preceded sin entering the world. It's the first time of many times throughout the Old Testament when God trained His people by animal sacrifice. He's teaching them a lesson through through repetition for redemption, and that every time a person sins is followed by the shedding of blood. Hebrews, I believe it's in chapter 9, says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sin. That's found in the Old Testament. And what takes place is God is teaching them a lesson. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. And here in the garden, after the sin, God kills an animal and He covers Adam and Eve with skins, a foreshadowing that man cannot cover his own sin. But the Lamb of God, The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would be the one slaughtered for our sin to cover us once and for all. A permanent covering over the transgressions of man. Let me tell you something. Our world's, once again, drifting further and further away from God's Word and from God, and sin dominates our society, and sin dominates our own lives at times, and yet it is in the midst of that bleak picture that there is a huge window of hope, and Jesus Christ offers life Forgiveness and salvation. He can transform you for all eternity. Pray with me. Lord, in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth and you are in the creation business and you specialize in new beginnings and we thank you that you're the one and only son that you sent to sacrifice, allowed us to have our sins taken away. And we thank you for the fact that he conquered the grave, giving us hope so that we too can live. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray, amen. And in the New Testament, there's a reference back to Noah and the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about how it is that Noah and his family were actually saved by the floodwaters because the floodwaters lifted the ark up and that's how their lives were spared. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21 and 20, he talks about Noah and the ark. In 21, he says, And now baptism saves you, not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but the pledge of good conscience toward God. And if you have never turned your life over to Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. Because God longs to have a personal relationship with you, just as He longed to have one with Adam and Eve. 
And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you be a part of River Oaks. You meet me down here if you need to make a decision for Christ today as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation.